Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Rex Factor. your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Rex Factor, where today we are not reviewing all the Queen and Prince consorts of England, but we are having another look at a queen we've covered before, namely Mary I, or Bloody Mary, as she is often known, in the form of writer and performer Olivia Miller, who writes and stars in the show Bloody Mary Live, where she portrays a teenage or sort of queenager version of Mary. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to be speaking to her about the show uh, and uh, what she thinks of Mary. Brilliant. If you'd like to hear more of us, you can join the Privy Council by supporting us on www.patreon.com forward slash Factor. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at RexFactorPod or email RexFactorPodcast at Hotmail.com. Super. And uh, we'll get on with the interview. Now, not that we uh, haven't recorded the interview yet, but when people listen to the interview, they might notice that Ali is not as present as you might expect i mean i <laughs> yeah i'd quite like to listen to that back to, before i because <laughs> i felt like i was i certainly was chipping in a lot of what i thought was insightful interesting stuff that was met with um well that was met with complete silence because uh, ali was uh Ali was in a car uh, parked in a lay-by somewhere for the interview and the signal was not always particularly strong. So uh, unfortunately, Ali was <laughs> doing his level best to communicate with us, but Olivia and I didn't actually hear a lot of it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, does it hang together at all, what I say? I've not heard yet, so maybe I'll do some complex editing and throw in Ali asking lots of really interesting, making really good points <laughs> and asking really good questions and then we just ignore them completely. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting, Olivia, because I've always thought the same. <laughs> or, golly, it really does make you think. Uh, so, Olivia, welcome to Rex Factor. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. And uh, could you introduce yourself uh, to the listeners and indeed to Ali, who has literally only just joined us in the conversation, <laughs> in terms of who you are and what you do? Um, my name is Olivia Miller. I'm an American actor and playwright, and I have been working for the past few years on a play called Bloody Mary Live, which imagines a teenage Queen Mary Tudor, a.k.a. Bloody Mary, um, that she's come back to life and she's doing stand-up to defend her legacy. She feels that she's been wronged by history. So I was having a little look um, online, um, just seeing clips and stuff from the show and reading about it. Um, so you're saying how you're sort of writer and 
uh, performer, but actually it looks like it's quite a bit of audience interaction as well. So it's kind of a bit part stand-up as well. Is that sort of Yeah, thing? that's actually, I really, I really like doing the show, and I don't think I'll ever get tired of it, is the show changes nightly based off of who's in the audience. So there are obviously the parts that are a little bit more theatrical, and I've written a lot of material that is consistent show to show, but there are all these chunks that um, I solicit, as Mary, I solicit uh, responses and feedback from the audience. And there are these parts of the show where based off of what someone's saying to me, the show changes a little bit. So the entire time Mary's trying to get people on her side or she's trying to goad them into saying something um, salacious. Um, and depending on how responsive people are about you know talking about their parents' sex lives or um, talking about their first kisses and all this stuff, um, the show changes a lot. And so some of the jokes are different. Like some of the jokes, I don't even know what they're going to be until someone says something to me, which is very fun for me. I, I really enjoy that part of the show. Oh, gosh. That um, uh, sounds terrifying to me. Um, so... <laughs> How do you get away with trying to justify that she was wronged? She isn't she a baddie, Graham? Am I thinking of the wrong Mary? No, it's, she is the uh, Protestant burning Mary. Yes, yeah. yes. I mean, yeah. so here's here's the thing. I I don't try to completely yassify the situation, just because in the end, yeah, she burned a lot of people at the stake, and it's a little it's a little hard to to make someone seem like a good guy if that's kind of how their story ends. That said, I do think it's really interesting to learn about her backstory. And at the end of the show, I'm not trying to get anyone. Mary's task is to try to get people on her side, but myself as a playwright, I'm not trying to get the audience to walk away being like, oh, wow, Mary was actually a very good person. My goal is to get the audience to walk away and be like, oh, geez, she had a rough time. What an, what an interesting tapestry oh, yeah. that was of her life. And so some of mm-hmm. the things that I find really sympathetic and interesting mm-hmm. is I think it would be really interesting to be the oldest child in a situation where your dad constantly keeps remarrying people. And at some point, all these queens are significantly younger than her. And I think that's an interesting perspective that, you know, no, not many people consider. Like, I'm, I'm the oldest child of a, of a pretty messy divorce. And I can't imagine having that happen, you know, not once, but twice, but three times, so just over and over again. I could imagine that's a really interesting, traumatic um, situation that probably colored a lot of her actions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, similarly having this back and forth of being taken out of the line of succession and put back in and um, being punished, I think that would be a really interesting, that's a really interesting texture that probably impacted how messed up she became. So there, there are mm. parts of her, her history that I just feel like not a lot of people have paid attention to and whether or not that actually makes you feel like she, I, I mean, I'd be surprised if people felt like she was a good person even knowing all of that stuff. But I think it's just really interesting that she has has a lot of trauma related to her family that people really gloss over. Like having six stepmothers is insane. Just, just point blank, or five stepmothers is insane. Um, and not only that, to have you know five stepmothers where the situation is crazy, where she doesn't get to see her mom ever again when she's exiled, and like stepmom one gets beheaded, and all these situations, like that's a lot of baggage that is dramatically interesting to me. 
one of the things this with um see with divorce maybe is um sort of parents trying to stress to the children that you know it's not their fault it's nothing to do with them it's a relationship whereas henry the eighth very much it's it is because you're a girl that's why i'm having to do all this crazy stuff it's entirely your fault for being a girl (laughs) right i would and that's kind of what i latched on to as mary's thesis in the show is the fact that that she has been told it's her fault that she she's and she's really internalized this that she's the reason why everything is terrible and so at the end of the play I've, i've used that as kind of the reason why she leans into whether or not this is actually true but i've imagined if i were in these shoes that if i were told my entire life that the reason why everyone around me is being exiled or beheaded or treated super poorly simply because i'm a girl and can't ascend i can't ascend to the throne um yeah i I would i would use that as like my village my villain origin story of i'm gonna burn it all down now because i've been told i've been told that i'm the bad reason why everything is happening so i will be the bad reason that everything (laughs) literally (laughs) literally goes up in flames i totally um i totally get that like um to i'm really careful with my kids not to say you're naughty they say you're being naughty, so you don't get sort of the label as the naughty kid. And I really think, I mean, especially when you've got parents like Henry VIII, crikey, you're going to have, you're going to be a bit messed up. Well, like she was, she was in her late thirties by the time that she had any kind of autonomy and power. So I was just thinking like, you know, it's not even that, you know, for the first 18 years, she was completely messed up by her parents or rather specifically Henry, her dad, and then kind of got to, explore the world and come into her own and deal with it in therapy like mm. she was getting really messed up by her dad well into her adulthood and at that point i feel like everything gets really solidified like if, if he's telling her that she's horrible and all these and, and and is acting based off of her gender i would imagine of course she's going to be completely insane of course she's going to be acting rashly of course she's going to burn people there's a lot of anger i'm sure and there's a lot of self-loathing i'm sure do you put on an accent no i don't <laughs> and I, I could i i if i really wanted to i could i went i went to acting school and and you know part of that is that you're supposed to develop a, a strong ear and, and be able to dissect accents um but i think i actually think it's really fun to do it in an american accent because one, it gives me a lot of, it gives me a few extra jokes I can land, which I think is really fun. And then the other thing that I really like is I'm already, there's a lot of asynchronous aspects happening of, you know, I'm interpreting her history. I'm bringing in a lot of pop culture. She makes a lot of comments on current events, specifically current events as it relates to entertainment. And so I think it's kind of fun to have an American accent in the mix where it's just one extra layer of this is so absurd. Um, yeah. <laughs> I actually, I think it's like one of the funniest jokes that I land is about my, <laughs> the fact that I'm speaking fully with my American accent, you know, and, and there's so many lies built into the play. Like I've taken a lot of, I've, I've done a lot of research and everything is rooted in truth, but Mary's not a reliable narrator. So there are a bunch of lies built in where she sees herself differently and wants everyone else to see her differently. And so I think having an accent, my American accent in the mix actually contributes to the whole tone of the show where, you know, you shouldn't be accepting everything in the show as fact. 
Yeah, I imagine it. Um, it you can sort of relate to it a bit more if they're not doing. If the person's not doing doths and thous, all of a sudden you can imagine. <laughs> imagine if this happened now. That'd be absolutely crackers. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, as well as the um, the accent, I was also going to ask about like the costume as well, and whether you ever thought about kind of going full on historical great big old Tudor costume, or if you always like this is going to be she's going to be a contemporary. Mary? So, I mean, that's a great question. So I've been working on the show with a UK theater company called Part of the Night. And it's an emerging theater company. They're very cool. They they put theater in nightlife spaces and clubs. We're still very much at the very beginning of the process. And I could see a world in which we lean heavily into full, full get up. Mm. Um, where I think that actually could be quite funny of if you have this very cumbersome, elaborate Tudor costume and you have this American accented, <laughs> <laughs> foul mouthed uh, person chatting at you and sticking a mic in your face. I could imagine that would be very funny at the moment for budget concerns and for <laughs> ease of doing the show. Um, you know, it's still in the early stages at the moment we have it in this more contemporary place with homages to, um, you know, the fuller thing, like our costume designer, Jessica Griffin was really spectacular where she was even talking about like the square cut is a very Tudor style cut. So even though the costume itself is contemporary, we have the square cut and like the mm. sleeves are important. And instead of a, you know, instead of a full collar, it's a choker where we have all these allusions to what it is. Um, to do what it would be historically. Um, but I imagine if I did do it in a full historically accurate outfit, <laughs> I would still want to have it be very emo teenager. <laughs> That's part of the costume that I, I really got excited by was this idea that like she hates her dad. She is throwing all these tantrums. Like I would imagine that she's listening to like My Chemical Romance or something. Like <laughs> if she could, like she's very, very angry and has like the black island or the raccoon eyes, basically. Um, so that even if we were to do the full Tudor, historically accurate Tudor costume, that it would still be some kind of version of all black punk email rebellion yeah. um shops at spencer's or whatever <laughs> like to to make it um to make it clear that she's both in mourning and mad at her dad <laughs> mm. um so i guess we haven't actually in a way talked other than we're saying about the um audience interaction but actually the um what the show is like so we're getting a bit of a sense of sort of mary's character there but what what would people expect if they came to see the show what what's the feel of it so it's very funny. I know we've been talking about family trauma and <laughs> yeah. burning people, but it's a very funny show. <laughs> so I, if people came, the arc of the show it very loosely traces the arc of Mary's life up until, well, up through her decision to, to burn people at the stake. Mm. Um, so if you came to the show, you would, you would get a very, a very skeletal, a trace of her history from her adolescence through the moment that she's crowned and then decides to to try to what she sees as right the wrongs of Henry and bring the country back to Catholicism. Um, 
But what you would expect is there are all these different sections. You 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 learn about Mary's life through these different comedic sections. So the first section is um, she introduces you to her family history and she does it comedically. It's not like, oh, I'm so upset. My dad is getting remarried again. It's like, oh, my stepmom's a bitch and here's why. Raise your hand if your stepmom is a bitch. Raise your hand if your second stepmom is a bitch. Here's why my second stepmom is a bitch. It's very uh, snappy. Mm. Um, but over the course of the show, she enters these different sections, right? She talks about, you know, her bitchy stepmom. She talks about um, the horrible family dinners that she has with her mom and her dad, where they openly talk about how she's not a boy, like all these kind of things. You, it, as the show goes on, the comedy gets more and more uncomfortable. So that the point that she is actually, you know, ascending the throne and, and eager to burn people at the stake, it's no longer funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's still trying to get you to laugh. She still knows it's a stand-up comedy show. But at that point, usually people aren't laughing anymore, which is very fun for me because it's just, again, it's just dramatically rich to have mm-hmm. a character who's trying so hard to obtain something and it's just not going to work, right? She's trying desperately to get people on her side. But at the end of the day, trying to get people on your side while you burn people at the stake is a little is a little challenging. Yeah. So you would expect to come in and... and and have like a, a fun time at a stand-up comedy show. And then I would say about halfway through, the comedy starts losing its its luster. And then by the end, it feels fully like you're in danger of also getting <laughs> burned. Um, so it's 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 mostly fun. And then at the end it's it's um, it's it's sad, I think, at the end. Like, I, I know people aren't laughing anymore, but I think people aren't laughing because not because they're like, oh, gosh, what a bad person. We hate her. It's like, yeah. oh, gosh, she really she really went off the rails and, and how how sad it is that this person mm. who we originally identified with or originally were having a good laugh with. That we look at this person now and, and she's she's completely she's completely ruined and and not by not not through any fault other than her circumstances you know this queen who we think of royalty and and how royals have everything but she really had nothing she was separated from her mother she went through all these different stepmothers she went through a lot of mistreatment from her dad um only to only to be remembered as a villain in history and it's just that's that's a sad situation to be in so how did you come to pick Mary as a subject because like we were talking before about everyone assumes it's Mary Queen of Scots you know Henry VIII (laughs) is so famous Elizabeth is so famous the six wives are all so famous but she does tend to get forgotten so why why Mary so it actually originally started I was going to write a musical about the six dead wives and then by the time I got around to it it already existed it was called Mm. six and I was like damn this is actually really good so (laughs) I couldn't do it anymore but I had all this research so I wasn't going to completely abandon the Tudor part of history. So I was looking through the research that I had and it was actually, it was precisely because of the fact that Mary is this little side note and everyone, I was like, why? Like, this seems like a pretty big deal that, you know, she's the, she's the first female monarch here and she committed this, what's, what's painted as a very horrific crime. And I was like, and that's the only thing we have on her. And, you know, the, the actor, the actor part of me just got really excited by that because as an actor, you want to dramatize and you want to fill in the gaps of something. And I was like, there's this huge gap 
we have these mm. really strong historical facts about this person, but we only have a handful that most people know about. And I was like, that feels like a vacuum that I could step into and, and have fun with. And so then as I started doing more research specific to Mary, I hesitate being like, I started identifying with this horrible person, but I did start <laughs> identifying with this horrible person. I, as I was doing research about her, some of the things that I felt like I shared some vibrations with her, um, eldest daughter, we both had that, um, child of divorce, we both had that, um, complications with our fathers, we both had that. Um, and then even down to some of the, the more day-to-day -day things when I was looking at how educated she was. Like she was really a star pupil. She, cause she was literate. She spoke many languages. And not that I speak many languages. I am literate. <laughs> I don't speak many languages, but there was something about this academic side of her that yeah. is this interesting footnote where, you know, I, I was very heavily involved in academics for many years. And I was like, Oh, this is also something that I share with her. And then, you know, I had fun once, once I identified some, some major and some minor similarities that I saw with her, I had fun imagining what other similarities we could have based off of the fact that there's not a ton of information. So things like she had, as many royals do, she had many engagements to many different royals over the years. And I had, not that I've been engaged many times, but I had fun imagining, okay, so I've had a lot of first kisses. I'll equate my first kisses with her first engagements and, and have yeah. some fun there or, um, or some other, some other things. Oh, oh, the fact that she's this old, she's the older sibling, sibling to Elizabeth. And the fact that Elizabeth is the one who kind of is treated well and, and gets remembered fondly by history mm -hmm. and like that sibling rival rivalry. And I was like, oh, I have siblings that sometimes I have little, little rivals with. I was like, I can imagine what this would be like. So the deeper I got with it, it was a combination of both identifying things that I felt were similar between the two of us. And then because of the lack of information, feeling like I could really dive in and, and exploit that and be like, mm -hmm. okay, we're going to talk about something that I went through, through the lens of Mary, because it's similar enough that I can process it in this way. And I can imagine based off of how I've responded to certain things, I can imagine how she would respond to, you know, having a very difficult relationship with her father in, in completely different circumstances than mine, but mm. similar enough that it, it cracks it open. So how much research did you do on Mary? Did you sort of go in quite deep or did you kind of find those sort of key bits of the character and then kind of construct your own? I went, I would say I went in, I did do quite a bit of research on my own, either articles online, I, I checked out a bunch of books from the library, that kind of stuff. And then during the pandemic, when things were on pause, I actually spent some time speaking to different scholars. But, you know, there's so much more research than I could put in the show. So to your point of like, did I just grab a few things out of everything that I've learned about her? I've really latched on to just a few, a few key moments in her life that I'm, I'm sharing with the audience. And then the rest of it is either nice background for, for me to pull from if I wanted to based off the audience interaction or just background for me as an actor of, of how I would get into this character of, you know, knowing certain things about her life and, and having that to draw from as, as I react to, to different things that I've set up. 
Um, but really I focused mostly on her family relationships. Um, what I imagine her relationship with her dad is like based off of his actions. Mm. And then I, and I go up through the fact that through her getting crowned as queen and then I skip to her burning everybody. So I don't really touch on Philip. Um, though I do know about Philip, <laughs> but I don't, I don't really touch on that part because I, I focused it as a family drama more than as a overview of her reign. Mm. Mostly because I mean, that's, that's where I can pull from. I have family drama, but I've never been queen. So, you know, the, the day-to-day ruling uh, or making large decisions for a country, I have less experience with that. <laughs> never burnt anyone? No, never burnt anyone. Oh, God. It's going to seem really difficult. I, I could see a world in which I, I insert more stuff about Philip or, you know, as I grow and, and think different things interest me, I might add stuff in. Um, again, it's, it is early development of the play. So even though I've, I've done it several times now and it's, it's popping up in different places, it hasn't been, hasn't been published yet. So I I think until, until it actually gets published and, you know, things get a little more set in stone, I definitely have the flexibility to, to add kind of whatever parts of her life I feel like adding, which one day might be Philip. It's just not Philip yet. (laughs) And I was sort of feel guilty about asking the question that, which I guess, everyone is asking anyone that's releasing or doing shows in 2022 will be asking which is the the covid question oh yes the covid question but presumably that's had quite a massive impact on no certainly so uh actually so the show was supposed to have its first full run at the edinburgh festival in 2020 Mm. and um you know got you know, going to get programmed and we were getting really excited. And then a week after we were offered a slot at the festival is when COVID hit. (laughs) And then that's, um, you know, we were hopeful that, you know, everyone lived in that period of time where we were all hopeful that in three weeks it would all blow over. Mm. And then it didn't. Um, So it definitely had an impact. Um, That was disappointing. That was supposed to be the, the big debut, the big foray out but it did give me time to do more research. So I did spend a lot of time in the pandemic actually learning more than I had learned, <laughs> which did change the show. I did, I did edit the show. So it gave me a little bit more time to edit it. Um, and then last summer we were fortunate enough to be able to do it um, at the city of culture in Coventry for a month. We were performing there. Um, so not, not the same festival, not the same scope, but still great performance experience um, and great audiences. And then the way that COVID is currently impacting it is um, interesting because things uh, things have gotten canceled because of COVID. Omicron had an effect on on a mm-hmm. brief stint that we were going to do in London. Yeah. So that, that's a bit challenging. <laughs> but... It, so they're obviously, I think, you know, to, to your point of, you know, arts and COVID, it, it's impacted the show in in the way that any artistic project has been impacted. There have been a lot of cancellations and a lot of waiting and a lot of pending possibilities that, that then either don't come through because of COVID or come through and then are canceled because of COVID. But I would say if I were to look at it from 
let's say, a, a, an optimistic perspective. One way that the show that the show's been impacted that I've, I found interesting is in New York, where I am presently, and I'm I'm still working on the show, and I'm still popping it up because it's it's good practice for me and it's good exposure. The more I do it, because of COVID, I've found myself more in nightlife spaces. Like I recently did the show at Club Coming, which is this cabaret bar space. And I probably would have never done it in a space like that. Mm. It had not been for COVID, but the, the, those are the spaces that are operating a little bit more on the fly because of COVID. You know, you don't have to mount a massive production. You don't have to, there's not a lot of upfront costs. You can do a show one night and then do a show another night, some other time. There's not so much formality around it. And so I've, I've gravitated more to those spaces because of COVID, because it's, it's hard to, to get up a full production in an actual, in a, in a full theater. And I found that I really enjoyed doing the show in those spaces. I enjoy that night that nightlife club setting because it, it almost feels like a place where someone would, an apparition would appear, right? Like in this, in this club, hazy, alcoholic space, you see an apparition of a ghost and then you have this interesting time. I, I think thematically there's something exciting about about that to me and i've been having a lot of fun with that and i and i wouldn't i would have never done the show in those kinds of spaces had it not been for covid like i'm doing it in those spaces kind of by necessity of 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 the circumstances but it's actually i've found that i've i've i think the show actually thrives in those kinds of spaces where you know you're grabbing a drink and you're laughing and all of a sudden things are very dark and you're like in this dark club with like the lights flashing and you're like, what's happening? Like that's, it's just a very cool energy that I wouldn't have tapped into otherwise. Is there such a thing as a traveler, not a Delta? Because we know on one flight, Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members. Because at Delta, we know. Refill? Everyone flies their own way. Delta. Keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. At IKEA, your dream home is a blue bag away. No matter the size of your space or budget, we've got everything you need to turn your dreams into reality. And now with new lower prices on hundreds of our most popular products, bringing the dream home is even easier. Like the Gray Strandom Wing Chair, was $369, now $299. And the IKEA Plus 365 nine-piece cookware set was $129.99, now $89.99. And hundreds more. Shop new lower prices at ikea-usa.com today. I guess almost sort of sense of your audience as well, or how to sell it. Because imagine that because it's a history theme, certain people might think, mm-hmm. "Oh, well, it's a history thing." Therefore, you know, we'll put it in. I don't know. We'll do a show at the Tower of London or Hampton Court and get all these <laughs> sort of history buffs, old, yeah, history buffs to come along. Um, whereas actually, it's kind of it's, but it's also it's kind of a cooler, slightly sort of punkier sort of thing going on. Yeah, and now that's been interesting because when I did it in Coventry last summer, we invited, we targeted the history buff groups we targeted tour guides and we targeted um people who ran history blogs and we're like we think you're really gonna like this and they did they did really like it because there is a lot of history packed into it and so 
I think it's fun for, if you like history, it's fun to, to see the show and be like, oh my God, that was a fact that, you know, could have been really dry and stuffy, but instead was packed into a joke and now I've learned something and laughed and that's fun. And then on the other hand, because it's couched in this very teenage drama lens of I hate my dad and I'm going to, I'm going to make a statement about it. Um, it does kind of slot into this punkier, younger generation where, where I, I feel like younger people who don't know so much about history, they, you don't need to want to be excited about history to like the show. There's a lot to identify with and, and find humor in that you could slot any name into. Like it doesn't have to be Henry VIII. It could be any dad who's been kind of shitty to their kids. <laughs> no, it couldn't be any dad. It could be any dad who's who's been mean to their, their kids before. And, and it still makes sense. Um, so that's been kind of cool to, to see the different, the different groups that have gravitated towards it. Because certainly in the club settings, I'm not getting as many um, professors of history. Thank God. But the laughs are still the same. <laughs> like people are still yeah. laughing at the same parts, which is cool. And I guess also like people that maybe don't know anything about Mary um, and the Tudors also can presumably access it in a way that other, as you said, slightly stuffier sort of versions of it, people wouldn't, without that pre-knowledge, sometimes you can't access certain things, but this would be something presumably people don't have to know about Mary coming into it. Right. And, and I, because this, the format is like, she's teaching you a little bit too. She's, she's not only teaching you the facts of the situation of, you know, I'm the daughter of Henry VIII and my mom is Catherine of Aragon. She was exiled at the castle and I never saw her. It's not just that. It's, she, she teaches it to you and then she tells a bunch of jokes about it. And so you get the information and you know exactly what you need to know in order to get the, get the next joke. And it just keeps building on that way. And, and by the end of it, it's less of, oh, do you, it's less of, oh, do you know about Tudor history? And more of, oh, I met this really interest, interesting person today. She has an awful dad. She had five stepmoms. Her mom was exiled and she never got to speak to her again. She had a lot of issues with religion <laughs> growing up. Like these are all things that out of context a lot of people go through. Maybe not mm. five stepmoms, but you know, stepmoms. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool though, because you are sort of you're secretly uh teaching them, even though you don't realise that they're Yeah, and that's and that's what I also think is fun too, because I do slip in things and, and and I think it's pretty this is what goes back to the accent. I think it's pretty clear, like you can't trust everything she says, but there, she does lie to you every now and then. Like there's a phrase that I use sometimes when I'm in the show where I'll be like, and this is a true story. And, <laughs> and there's, there's always like that one person in the audience who's like, I thought it was all a true story. And I, and I like throwing that. I like having that, mm. that little bit of dissonance in there because it's, it is a true story, but it's her truth. I don't know how mean or nice her stepmoms were to her. For all, for all we know, everyone was very kind to her, all the stepmoms. But in her perspective, they weren't. <laughs> in her perspective, they were all people who who stole her her dad away from her mom or tempted her dad away from her mom or encouraged this shift away from Catholicism, which was like the last thing she had of her mom by the time her mom gets sent into exile. So... It's it's fun to imagine what an individual's truth might be in these circumstances. So, um, how can people um, see the show? When's it on, and where? So, at the moment, it's only in New York. Um, so, there are a few shows coming up. In for if you have any New York listeners, yeah, we do. I have a show on April eighth 
at a venue called Pete's Candy Store. And I have a show at the Duplex on April 22nd. Um, and all this information you can find either on my TikTok or my Instagram, which is both that Olivia Miller. But hopefully, I can't I can't say anything official at the moment. But hopefully, you'll be able to catch it in the UK in August of this year. Oh, cool! But more details Graham. to come. <laughs> yeah, Graham Rex Factor um, road trip. Road trip. Is well, unless it's in Chelmsford, of course. Is yeah, that... f- fingers fingers crossed. It'll be it'll be a full month in August if you can guess what that might be. <laughs> but I I can't officially say anything about it at the moment. Might that oh, involve a, uh, a trip north for us in south of England, potentially. Potentially, <laughs> potentially. Uh, please do let us know. It'd be great. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I absolutely will. Yeah. So I'll hopefully, hopefully, I'll be back in the UK because I mean that's where I first w- well one. It's where I had the first run of it last August, which, you know, is very special. And two, I just feel like it's really fun to do the show, especially in the UK, because whether or not people know Mary, you know, it's it's British history. So there's an extra level of there's an extra level of interest, I feel, which is always fun for me when the audience is actually really, really interested in the history part of it. Of course, I love it when people are entering in with whatever background they have so people are entering in because they too have had terrible experiences with divorce that's great but when people are also entering in being like oh my gosh i love elizabeth i know so much about elizabeth who's who's her older sister that's extra fun for me to be like well here's her older sister and here's what she's like (laughs) in my imagination um so i i i've really enjoyed playing for uk audiences because there's that extra level of of investment i feel which is really fun yeah do you get any, because um, I'm thinking of hecklers and shows and are there sort of history buff hecklers who sort of try and <laughs> test your knowledge or <laughs> call things out and say that didn't happen? So I haven't yet uh, encountered a history buff heckler. I have had a history buffs come up to me after the show and it's less about them being like, oh, you got this wrong. Because I think it, the expectations are, I set the expectations really clearly at the beginning, right? Like, I'm wearing fishnets and these combat boots. You know what I mean? Like it's not historically accurate. <laughs> um, so I think it's it's because the expectation is set, and especially I think the first the first line of the show is raise your hand if you're a child of divorce. Now raise your hand if your stepmom is a bitch. Like the tone <laughs> is really brash, and so I think it, it's I haven't been heckled during the middle of the show about saying something wrong because. You're there for the ride. But what has happened is after the show, people get really excited. History buffs get really excited to talk to me about why I changed something or a discrepancy. So it's less of an accusation and more of being like, oh, gosh, I, it's so interesting that you picked, that you, you said this instead of this thing. Why was that? Or did you know it was a mistake? And sometimes I'm like, oh, I didn't even realize that it was a falsehood. <laughs> and then other times I'm like, yes, this is a very deliberate choice where she's at some point she compares the fact that Elizabeth technically has burned more people at the stake than she has. The num- the historical numbers, Elizabeth's number is greater. It's in the 300s and Mary's is in like the 200s. Um, but you know, the historical inaccuracy there is that Elizabeth had a much longer reign than Mary. Like Mary's reign was quite short. And so making that comparison is a deliberately unfair comparison to make because Elizabeth's history is much longer on the throne. So the stats don't line up. But Mary is is using that to her advantage, right? Her truth is like, oh, well, if we're just going by numbers thing, 
I burned less people than my sister did. I would say if I got, if I, when I've gotten heckled in the show, it's, it's usually more people trying to be cheeky with, with their audience responses, trying to throw me off and pick like, there's, well, there's one section where Mary sol- uh, uh, solicits answers about favorite villains and someone will, will pick a villain that like no one's ever heard of. I have to kind of roll with the punches. Like I don't know every famous villain, but some reliable villains that have come up are like Darth Vader or Cruella DeVille, like, you know, Car- like, things that are more recent the joker comes up a lot and then every now and then you get someone who picks something super obscure just to see what i'll say <laughs> so that that's where things get a little bit more hecklier people trying to throw me off with the pop cultural references rather than the historical references i was realizing that when no you one- said when you said it back to me the um i think as i phrased it um history buff hecklers and i'm thinking that if you do get that that's probably not going to be the hardest <laughs> hecklers that you can get <laughs> no. no probably probably not i would imagine the temperament is a little bit uh chiller than, yeah. than some other people's <laughs> temperaments it must be showed like doing this and this inhabiting mary for such a long period of time and then like you said doing all that research and playing her it must like she's like quite a big part of your life now that's i don't know just a strange experience where this other person just is with you all the time yeah, it, it is interesting because I do, it, it does feel like she's my companion at this moment. And that's that's a factor of many things, right? That's one a factor of time. The fact I've been working on this show for, I've been working on this show since early 2019. And part of that is the pandemic has prolonged uh, the development of it. So I've, I've really been developing her for quite some time now. Um, and then the other part of it is the way that it's written where, you know, the way that I found my found my path into Mary was through finding common ground. Not, not that my history is intertwined with her history, but I filled in a lot of gaps with her histories that I, I couldn't find it. Like I couldn't find anything about what she thought about her stepmoms. Mm. I couldn't find anything. Um, the only thing I could really find was the fact that, you know, Anne of Cleves was at her coronation, but like, Everyone else is dead. So that feels like, you know, that might not have been her being like, oh, I want Anne of Cleves there. It might have just been like everyone else is literally beheaded or exiled at this point. So like she's the only one. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of gaps. So I filled in those gaps with a combination of how I think I would have reacted and how I imagine someone in her situation would react. So that has tied her a little bit more close to me than than some other roles would have been. But, you know, once Henry exiled Catherine of Aragon, Mary never saw her mother again. And I imagine she probably asked, she probably begged for it. When she found out that her mom was dying, I would imagine that she went to her father and requested to see her mother. And, and I imagine that was very hard and very scary. But, you know, there's no documentation of that. I would imagine that she had many pleas and many fraught moments with her dad trying to see her mom again, but that's not documented. So there's, there's imagination, but I I feel like it's not, they're not crazy leaps. You mentioned um, doing like with the pandemic and that sort of gave you a chance to do a bit of extra research. And I believe that that's actually kind of in the form of a, of a history podcast. Yeah. So I was um, listening to that yesterday, and because um, there are only a few episodes, but I was going to ask um, why you didn't do more because I thought they were actually really good. The uh, so you spoke oh, to a few historians you. about, um, I think it was a couple about her relationship with uh, Elizabeth. We do have several more that they just haven't <laughs> dropped. <laughs> so I mean, part of 
this is another COVID thing, um, you know, dabbling in podcasts. Um, we have, we have several episodes that are just haven't been cut together and that's just a factor of getting distracted by other things. But yeah, I talked to a bunch of different historians. I think the first two are, are about Elizabeth or, or something like mm-hmm. that, but each episode hopefully we'll be able to release the other episodes at some point in time, <laughs> but they, they each kind of go through different points um, of Mary's life that I touch on in my show. So there, there is a section in the show about Elizabeth and about how Mary feels about Elizabeth and that relationship. So there was an episode on that. Um, and it, it was just really illuminating to, to talk to historians in that way, just because I would usually come in, saying something about how I've interpreted something. And Mm. the game is a little bit of how close to the truth is that? Is that right? Like, I know that I have the kernel of truth and I've spent so much time working on the show. Like how, how close, how far have I strayed? How far have I gotten from the truth? And that, that was a fun game for me to play because sometimes the story would be like, wow, that's really inaccurate. Like you, (laughs) you took a kernel and went in a completely different direction. Mm. And sometimes I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I should get back to the truth a bit. And other times I'm kind of excited to hear that I've really gone off the deep end. Cause I'm like that. I feel like that's how she, that's how Mary would talk about it. Mm. You know, she doesn't want to paint herself in a bad light. She's not going to talk about how poorly she treated someone. She's only going to talk about how she sees it. So that was a fun, fun litmus test of, of how time has, has been a factor in, in how close to the truth I've stayed to her story. Bloody Mary on air. I think, isn't it? The yes. Yes. Which, in theory, there will be more episodes if that's what you have an appetite for. We we definitely have more interviews that just haven't been cut together yet. But you've got to keep going, if not nothing else, than the fact that you've just got a really good sign-off with the have a bloody good week. <laughs> yes. Like, I don't know if that's such a phrase in America. Like, Well, and that's also the funny thing, too, is, you know, I'm working with a, I'm working with British history. I'm working with a company based in the UK. Most of the historians are also British the the longest run I've done of the show thus far was in Coventry, England. So <laughs> there's a there's a version of the show that has existed in in a more full form than the New York version that I've been performing that have all these British isms and 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 phrases and in terms of phrase that don't make sense in in the United States. Like I've never said have a bloody good week to anyone here. <laughs> But it's popped up quite a bit because I've, I've mostly been interacting with non-Americans <laughs> on this show. <laughs> like, I'm usually the only American in the room for it. So it's yeah. kind of funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> so if you had to sort of learn British um, in terms of like idioms and that sort of stuff, or is, kind of, did you oh know it already God. or did you have to like... I did have to learn. So actually the thing, the additional level of research I did for the show... <laughs> It's going to sound so funny. So there's a section of the show where Mary talks about trash TV. Um, and the, the joke ends up being that she talks to the audience about their favorite trashy television. And the joke becomes that Mary's trash television is the Catholic church, right? So like, that's the comparison that's being made of like the Catholic church is full of all this messy drama, um, this easy, messy drama. And so that that's, that's her equivalent. But when I was doing it in the UK, since I was talking to everyone about their TV preferences, I actually had to watch a ton of UK trash te- <laughs> trash television so that I would understand the references. Like I basically asked a couple of my friends, my British friends, 
And I was like, what are the top 10 shows you would recommend that I watch that like everyone's talking about right now? <laughs> and so I watched a lot of, I watched, I did a lot of research, you know, just watching television shows. And some of it was easy, you know, like Love is Blind is, or no, sorry, is it Love Island? Love Island, gosh. <laughs> right, so like Love Island has, has made its way over here. So that was something where I was like, oh, that's easy. I've actually already seen that because it's popular. But, you know, some of the other things were, I made like a, in the American version of the show, I, I referenced Jerry Springer. And I guess the UK is Jeremy Kyle. <laughs> so I like, learned about Jeremy <laughs> Kyle. Like, so there was a little bit of, um, you know, pop cultural literacy that I had to, had to get into, um, which was quite fun. And it was also fun to see the level of overlap that there is with trash television, largely we're, we're all watching very similar versions of reality TV, just, yeah. you know, different, different countries. <laughs> we're just, uh, we just nick formats and change the characters. Yeah, no, exactly. The accents are different. The location's different, but it's, it's the same. They're the same stories. And I guess it works quite well if the, someone gives you a show that you've absolutely never heard of before. If you're in the UK, the fact that you're both American and playing someone from the 16th century kind of works if you haven't heard of it oh yeah like i have i have jokes built in where you know i'll be like oh i absolutely know that reference but for people who for the for the people who might not <laughs> and i'll make a joke about for the people who are older perhaps from the 1500s older like i'll make a joke about how she doesn't know it and that's that's always an out for me is the fact that you know she couldn't cram 500 years of pop culture into a couple of days before she put the show together <laughs> so if i don't know something i always have an out um, so in our podcast, we uh, rate kings and queens in a number of different factors, and then we decide whether or not yes. they've got that certain something, uh, the star quality the for achievement, yeah, <laughs> that we call the Rex factor. So do you think, is there a case to be made for Mary? Do you think that she she deserves to have the Rex factor? Remind me of the elements that, that you include for your rankings. Ah, well, to, it's not... It, determine the Rex factor. <laughs> well, it doesn't always have to be, so you could get a low score and not necessarily... Uh, and get the Rex Factor, but so we rank them on battliness, uh, scandal. So we give positive points for for scandal. So in that sense, you know, burning a few hundred people can have its you know upsides. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, subjectivity: Would you want to be a subject? Which is maybe where the burning element slightly less mm. positive. And then how long they range for, and how many uh, children they have. Okay, so I guess first for the scandal point, I would say hunt. She she gets full marks on scandal. Um, yeah. for a number of reasons, right? So one, the fact that she burned, like she, she ascends the throne and immediately starts burning all these Protestants at the stake. <laughs> I feel like that in itself gives, gives full marks for that. Though I would add that she gets bonus points for the fact that her family was a scandalous family. Like that's mm. the first major divorce. Like that was crazy. Henry VIII created an entire new church to divorce Catherine of Aragon. That's pretty scandalous. So to be the child at the heart of that, mm. I feel like points for that for sure. Yeah, so like the break with Rome is kind of her fault as far as Henry VIII is concerned. It's not his fault, it's her fault. Right, right. And again, that, that's that's what I use kind of as the heartbeat of, of my show is that like she has internalized the fact that the reason why things have gone completely haywire both interpersonally with her family and with the country getting split into these different religious factions, she's internalized that this is her fault. Um, so full, full marks for scandal. 
Subjectivity, okay, this would be interesting because if you were a Catholic subject, you probably were pretty pumped that there was a Catholic <laughs> queen on the throne. So you're probably like, oh, thank God we're going back to, to the way things were. That said, if you were a Protestant subject, you were probably really scared for your life. So that, that one might be an, an even wash. Um, battliness. So that's that's combativeness or yeah. or the yeah. major battles. Mm. Okay, I think the burnings at the stake count here. Actually, it was like a battle for the soul of England. I think the internal battle is, is pretty pretty intense. You know, flames and and all that. So I, I would give her I would give her high marks for that. She didn't have a very long reign. Mm. She didn't have any children. She had a hysterical pregnancy. Mm-hmm. But no, no babies, no babies. So I guess those are zeros. So that leaves us. So based off of that, do you think she has the Rex factor <laughs> with all those elements combined? <laughs> she, she, so she. Uh, I mean, so I can reveal she didn't. Unfortunately, in the original uh, Rex Factor series, didn't get the Rex factor. She uh, didn't. She didn't, and unfortunately, Dad and sister uh, did do. Which is, I guess, oh, man. a lot. More the, the trauma lives on, just keeps <laughs> <Yeah>. going. <laughs> I think she's definitely a more sympathetic figure, though. Once you look at what you've sort of been talking about that earlier part of her life and all of the awful way that she's treated by Henry VIII, you can much more easily see the journey. And actually, like when she first comes to the throne, that's kind of where her battliness comes in quite a bit. She's very impressive with the way that she does it because the Protestant establishment tried to get Jane Grey to be the queen right. instead. But everyone right, just right. kind of seems to accept that it's Mary. She raises an army. She marches into London. She gets control of things. She puts a rebellion down and does quite a big speech to the troops, which is kind of a bit of an echo of what Elizabeth would do later with the Spanish Armada. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she got the reckoning. I think she's just unlucky that it kind of all comes a little bit too late for her. A yeah. lot of life has passed her by it by is- the time that she actually gets to be queen. Well, that's also when I think about the historical pregnancy, which hasn't made it into my show yet because the show, again, took a, a stronger focus on the family dynamics of things and her relationship with her dad, her mom, her stepmoms and her sister and how she saw herself in relation to all these different players. But gosh, what, what a sad situation to be in to, yeah. to what she was like in her late 30s when she finally married and I can imagine, you know, she probably really was desperate for companionship. And then her husband follows in the footsteps of her dad by like, cheating on her with a lot of different mistresses, as was the custom. But I can imagine that was triggering. And then to want a baby so badly, not only for, you know, royal lineage reasons, but for mm-hmm. just human reasons. I can imagine she really, really wanted a child to to feel, feel that love and to want it so badly that she has one of the most famous hysterical pregnancies. It's just, it's sad. It's really sad. Yeah. And then she, then she dies. Like what a sad ending. So I don't know if sadness. It's a sadness factor. <laughs> she definitely got the sadness factor, um, but maybe not the Rex factor. <laughs> I feel better. I was sort of, uh, Leaning to uh, lean towards the end there, I feel bad that we're sort of finishing on a uh, a slightly sadder note. Then maybe that's the appropriate. Like you said that's sort of the uh, direction that the the show goes. Well, that's kind yeah. of that's the story it, there, it is. isn't it? 
It is, because I mean, you know, it's like the, the phrase, it's all fun and games. Like, it really is all fun and games. Like, mm. it is all fun and games until she's she dies alone. <laughs> um, you know, with, with, a, with a horrible legacy. And mm. you probably could look at a lot of historical figures who have, you know, died in disgrace. And, you know, you're not making the case that they should be viewed as heroes. Mm. And I think that's actually, that's a really popular thing right now that's happening um, where people look at historical characters and, and I said yassify earlier, but like <laughs> turn them into heroes. You're like, oh, well, we're yeah. going to take this person in. It's like, you don't know. They were actually really heroic. But I, I don't think that's quite right. I think it's, it's more interesting to look at a historical figure and kind of give them the fullness of, of an analysis and be able to be like, wow, they really got messed up. Like where where did they go off the rails? Like what were the things that really sent them off? And that you can have sympathy and and feel something for them and laugh with them and cry with them and then at, at the very end still be like that was that was bad. Like I, I feel I feel badly that you were pushed to this point and I can't agree with you, but I definitely understand you better. Uh, well, Olivia, thanks so much for uh, chatting to us, and um, we hopefully might get to. Uh see you somewhere north yes i'll, I'll keep you guys summer. posted um yeah that'd be great it would be great to to have you guys heckle me in the audience i guess <laughs> yeah we'll come in with our really lame history buff heckles <laughs> yeah we come in come in with your bullet points <laughs> <laughs> um i think you mentioned earlier on but um if people want to follow you on social media and get sort of news on the show and where they can see it and not, whatnot where uh, where can they find you so you can find me on instagram and tiktok at that Olivia Miller. So those are the best places to find me. Um, and yeah, I post I post updates regularly about the show in both those spots. So um, it's, a, it's all a Bloody Mary Stan account at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and the podcast as well, which we'll get some more episodes at some point. Yes, I, I can't say exactly when the episodes <laughs> will drop, but uh, there's a couple episodes of Bloody Mary on air and hopefully there will be some more episodes dropping in the near future. Cool. Well, thanks so much for speaking to us and lots yeah, of luck. Yeah, thanks very much. With the show. And sorry about the uh, technical issues. <laughs> oh, don't even worry about it. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me. Cheers. Thanks. All right. See you soon, hopefully. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye bye. So that was Olivia Miller talking about her show, Bloody Mary Live. Uh, let us know what you thought about that episode. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, where we are at RexFactorPod. Like the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page or email RexFactorPodcast at Hotmail.com. Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe on whatever podcast provider you use or donate monthly to join the uh, Privy Council and get over 100 bonus podcasts at www.patreon.com forward slash RexFactor. And we have some new Privy Councillors to welcome to the fold. Robin, Susie T, Kendra Court, Jen Lynn, Jodie Stalker, Heather Dykes, Kegcom, Katriana, Jeremy Bradley, Peggy Hartle, William Gearhagen, uh, Catherine Coffey, Joanna Murray, Laura Williams, Joe Ross, Stephanie Russo, Anne Foster, Sarah Kildow, Sarah Shulman, Mitchell Sklar, Krista Sorensen, Laura Schroeder, Adriana Lippi, Megan Sukup, and B. Dub. Nice. Well, that's that's one of the finest crowds I've seen for a long time. Welcome one and all. <laughs> you are very, very handsome and intelligent. 
Uh, and we have a few messages to read out from long ago new Privy Councillors back in the Podbean days when a message on the podcast was a reward. First up, Nick Bastow. Been listening a long time and I owe you both this for all the fun I've been I've had listening. Thank you. BMCIVOR171066 says, Thanks for all the pleasure and the laughs you've given me since I discovered you in lockdown. It is very much appreciated. You have rekindled my interest in history by making it fun and easily accessible. Brilliant. David Van Rijk simply says, Keep being hysterically historical. Oh, very nice. And uh, finally, Vanessa Murray's reasons for joining might not appeal to you so much, Ali. Oh, God. I've been debating becoming a privy councillor for a while now, and I received a sign last night whilst reading A Christmas Carol. Apologies to Ali in advance. I was lying in bed, minding my own business, when who should appear? St. Dunstan. Yes, Dickens has further immortalised the fun sponge. I was proud that I knew who he was. I have the Rex Factor guys to thank for that. Also, I find it amusing that for all the names he forgets, Ali has always remembered Dunstan. <laughs> he doesn't tend to survive uh, a reference into any adaptations of A Christmas Carol, but if you were to read the actual story, there is a little mention of Dunstan. Okay, fine. That's all right. No, no, no problem. No need to apologise for a moment. I definitely thought you were reading a Christmas Carol, and who should appear like oh, well, she was having a she dream? She was visited like, by the three ghosts by of the ghost of, of Dunstan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Who should appear but the Dunstan? Um, oh, I mean that. If you have your own Christmas Carol story, then you know Dunstan is. It's not going to be him. Well, it'll be. Oh, I don't know. Who would it be? I mean, it should be me, really, shouldn't it? I should. You, it should. <laughs> you I should, should be definitely. Dead and say so you need to change your ways. <laughs> Graham, Graham, if you die. Please come back and haunt me. Help me out. <laughs> okay, I really need you. Anyway, that's all from us today. <laughs> uh, we'll see you again another time. Cheerio.